Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. I'm Tom Stutter. And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And today we have what I'm going to consider to be my most special guest, which is Dr. Chrissy Roth Francis. Dr. Chrissy Roth Francis and I work together at the University of Southern California, and she has transitioned to corporate learning and development. And I am more than thrilled to welcome her to the podcast. So welcome, Chrissy. Thank you so much, Tom. You welcomed me into my first job after graduate school, and now you welcome me on your podcast. I appreciate the invite and the opportunity to talk to both of you. You know, Chrissy, it's funny. I was I went for a swim this weekend, and I was actually thinking about when we first met and how I got an, a random email from somebody uh, saying, hey, you should hire this person in your in your new role at USC. And I was like, okay, well, I'll interview her. And then I looked at the resume and thought, oh, yeah, this is definitely the person I need to hire. Um, and that was before you, I'd even talked to you just based on the credentials that you brought to the, brought to the table. So, but wait, uh, did she go swimming with you? I'm confused. Absolutely not. There was no pool for me. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, where is he headed with this? I went swimming this weekend and thought of you thing. <laughs> for those, that's where you reflect apparently. That is where I reflect. For those who don't know, my most, uh, my most reflective moments are when I'm alone in the pool and nobody is yelling at me to go get something done. So, so again, Chrissy, super excited to have you. For our listeners, one of the things that I think is going to be great about Chrissy's episode is that she has transitioned into corporate learning and development. And based on the Facebook groups that we've been a part of and the conversations that we've had, even for folks that have contacted us individually, a lot of folks see themselves as being able to make that first pivot out of higher education into corporate L&D. So I'm excited, Chrissy, to hear your story and how you made that pivot. But maybe before we do that, just to back up a little bit, can you share your background from an education perspective, you know, where you started and, and where you ended up before you made the pivot, and then what you've done since you left education? Yeah, for sure. I like to think of my career as a series of dream jobs. I am incredibly fortunate, lucky, and proud to have had three now dream jobs, one after another, after another. So my first one, Tom, was when you hired me at University of Southern California. I, previous to that, I, I went to undergrad at Cal Poly Slow, San Luis Obispo, and then I went to get my master's at New York University. And after being in New York, away from California for a couple of years, I desperately wanted to come back to California. And this amazing job opened up at USC specifically to onboard their international students and their graduate students. And I felt like this was the most perfect job for me because my entire undergraduate experience was onboarding students to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. 
And then my graduate experience at NYU, my favorite part of it was running a class for its new international students, training them on American culture, on life in the United States, and how to succeed. So that position that you posted right when I was graduating was the perfect dream job as if I could have even written a better job description for myself. So I ended up at USC for six years, had a great time onboarding all of the students to that university. I haven't done the math, but I'm guessing, Tom, it was probably 40,000 maybe throughout my tenure. Yeah, but between, let's go. between the undergraduate and the graduate students and you know, ultimately, ultimately, Chrissy replaced me as the director at USC for a short time before moving on. So it was, <laughs> it was amazing to have watched you come in as a brand new, you know, first year out of grad school professional. And, and we should be clear, like you were more than just a first year out of grad school professional. You like exuded professionalism in your, in your first role. And then to watch you go to be the, the person who replaced me when I left was, was pretty amazing. I, I loved that about our relationship. Well, thank, thank you for that. And then uh, I didn't last long. I stayed there <laughs> replacing you for about one month. <laughs> I ended up getting a director position in new student services at UC Berkeley. So I moved back up to the Bay by my family and I worked at UC Berkeley for five years where I revamped its orientation program. It was a summer orientation, was really proud of the work I did. And then one day, a whole bunch of administrators decided we should change our summer orientation to a welcome week orientation. And who cares that we have 9,000 incoming students in schools that typically do this have less than 3,000. We can do it. Chrissy, go get it done. Come on, turn it around. So I spent the last few years at UC Berkeley completely overhauling the orientation program into a fall welcome week model. And to this day, I believe that that transition from a summer to a fall for over 9,000 students at one time, I believe that's one of the biggest accomplishments I've ever had in my career. And I look forward to, to considering what else will be up there as I continue to progress in my career. What else will I believe is as mighty of a project and, and a big accomplishment? So it was a really wonderful time. I had one of at Berkeley. There were many, many challenges. There were also many amazing opportunities, incredible people I worked with. And with all of that, I got to a point where I realized I needed to make the pivot out of EDU. And so that is when my journey began of researching, investigating what it could be, and then making that intentional pivot away into something brand new, which I'm sure you have a whole lot of questions for me about. Yeah, I, I so for our listeners, like I said, Chrissy pivoted into corporate learning and development. And I remember when Chrissy contacted me about sort of making that pivot. You know, I was at that time working in, in specifically in learning and development as well, and was really excited to see that that, that was an, of interest for you. I'd like to dig in a little bit on that and talk about one, why you thought learning and development was the right choice for you, but also two, how you saw yourself working in learning and development. What, what were the things in higher ed that you felt transferred over really well to L&D and how you communicated that to the folks at your current employer? It seems like every single person who works in higher ed has had a moment in their life where they realize I could work in higher ed. Someone has that talk with you. There's the realization where you find out this is the career that I can do. Similarly, 
that's how the L&D discovery was for me. I barely even knew it was a field. I didn't know much about it. I probably only heard it existed a few years before I looked into it. So it was very, very much a new concept to me. But when I realized it was time for me to leave higher ed for a variety of reasons, when I made that realization, I started taking inventory of what can I do? What can I offer another place? And how do I want to grow? And for me, the inventory was, well, what do I do? I onboard people by the masses and I onboard them really, really well. And in tandem with onboarding, I also train hundreds of students every single year to be student leaders. So where can I find a job that onboards people and that trains people to show that I have transferable skills? And that became clear soon that it was in corporate learning and development. I also live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have no desire to move out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And so it was very obvious to me that I should look into the tech industry. I had been looking at the tech industry from the eyes of my students get jobs into the tech industry, but it was never, I should get a job into the tech industry. So now that I knew I wanted to get out of higher ed, I started, I put, it, I, I put my eyes on tech thinking, hey, Someone's got to make a living in the Bay Area. Why not? Why not join them? If you can't beat them, join them. And the biggest way that I started realizing I really could make this transition was that at some point I got a side gig with a public speaking communications training company. And as part of this company, I started going into tech companies all throughout the Bay Area and the West Coast and training their employees on how to be better public speakers, how to be more influential, how to build relationships through public speaking. And going to those one day or two day trainings and leading their team through this content, I realized, well, I could do it as a vendor. So of course I could do it as somebody internally. And as a vendor, I was able to see into so many different companies. I was able to go to their, I went to company offices for the first time in my life. That was so strange to realize I've only been on college campuses and I don't even know what company offices look like. What does it look like to take an elevator up 15 floors and see a big conference room or see people in wide open non-cubicles, the open format? So that was incredibly different for me. And talking to different people at each company, I started to realize that there were there were different feel. I had different feelings at each company. There was a different culture I was catching on to. So I started really paying attention as a vendor to what I could offer and what I could bring to a company. And that's that job, that side gig I had, I think was really what, what got my foot in the door, which I'm sure we will talk about all the strategies to get the foot in the door. Before we dive into that, a couple of things. One, I for, for folks who've been listening to our podcast, they'll remember me talking about the very first time I had to ride up the elevator where I work and had no clue what that was like. And for me, that was a real eerie feeling was I'm taking an elevator to my office when I used to just walk into a building and there I was. Um, so I, 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 that certainly resonates with me and I'm sure it will resonate with a few others. One of the things that you mentioned that I think I want to call out is you use the phrase onboarding, right? And that's certainly something that we use in corporate. I talk about onboarding all the time, whether it's customer onboarding or employee onboarding, but I bet you never used the term onboarding when you were at a university, did you? 
I actually started to use the term onboarding when my team was charged with creating an online onboarding module for new students. And I had never even heard the word onboarding until then. Absolutely, Tom, it was always orientation. That's what it was, it was orientation. I did college orientation for about a dozen years, but now looking back, I have started saying onboarding because that is what corporate culture tells us. And so I've learned that it's easier in the corporate world to tell people that I did onboarding as opposed to new student orientation. Really good catch there. Yeah, and the reason that I, I, I caught it and I wanted to point it out is, one, I had a similar situation, you know, having worked in orientation for, you know, a dozen plus years and then moving into corporate onboarding, whether it was employees or customers. And, you know, I remember that the first uh, couple of times where I ran new hire orientation and people were like, what is this orientation word that you keep using? And I was like, okay, I got to, I got to make that switch. And the reason that I wanted to call it out is, you know, we've talked a lot about in this podcast series about that, the transfer of skills, but also the language that we use, right? It's, it's, we have the skills in higher education. We do the thing in higher education that people do in corporate, but in many instances, it's really just a change in the language that we use. If you spent 12 years orienting new students to a college campus, rather than saying you now want to orient new employees, talk about your onboarding, change your resume and your LinkedIn, reflect the language of the place that you want to go to, because those words are really important in an interview process or on a resume, particularly as more and more corporations and companies use automated, automated applicant tracking systems. They're looking for those keywords. So we do the thing. It's just a matter of being able to speak to the thing in the new language that in the new language of the place that we're going. Tom, since I left higher ed, it's been about two and a half years. I have spoken to, my guess is about 200 people who have, who want to leave higher ed and they've sought advice one-on-one for me. I really should learn how to monetize that, but I haven't gotten there yet. So anyways, with all of those people, one of the biggest things that I have told them was not just that we do the thing and we need to learn how to translate the thing. It's we do more of the things. We do the things better and bigger and with even more heart. And so I I am fully convinced that folks who work in higher education have learned more skills, have learned many more experiences because the jobs in in higher ed are so ridiculously stretched that we have had to learn how to do so many jobs, so many jobs. And then when you get to the corporate world, there's a person for each one of those jobs. So suddenly the skills that you need are, are not as plentiful. And I, I give a lot of people the pep talk that they 100% can do it and they have more than enough skills to transition into the corporate culture. And I even, at one point I was talking to so many people that I started writing some LinkedIn articles about how I made that transition and how other people could too. And I focused one article solely on language on what are the words that you need to change. So for example, instead of saying students, you could say participants or clients or customers. You can change words to whatever you need to fit the audience that you're working for. And it's not a lie. It's helping the company understand what you do to put it in their words. I'm glad you highlighted that, Tom. Yeah, and I we will, if it's okay, we can link to your articles in the show notes so that folks can read that. And, and hopefully... We can help you out a little bit in that if people reach out to you and want to learn more, you can say, well, 
first you can tune into my podcast episode here and then follow back up. But no, I'm, I, I hope that is helpful for, for folks to be able to do that. And it'd be great if they can, of course, reach out as well. But things that, that folks are obviously thinking about as they're looking to pivot out is, you know, what do I want to move towards? So what would I really enjoy in, in a out-of-campus-based position? And then what might I miss? And so we'd love to hear your perspectives on what do you enjoy? It's two and a half years in now of being out of campus-based positions and what, what do you miss? Yeah, great question. I enjoy a much more balanced lifestyle. I no longer have orientation events or student trainings on the weekends. I no longer have to work late at night because that's when the students are available. I no longer have to go to sleep worried about if I'm going to get a phone call from a student or from a staff member because something bad happened. And that absolutely happened in my former role. I enjoy having the resources in my job to do the job that I need. And I don't come home feeling as stressed out as I used to. I don't come home worried about the campus politics, worried about, do I have to lay people off? Am I going to get laid off? Is anybody going to get laid off? Are students falling through the cracks and can I help them? So there were just so many more worries when working with college students and when working with under-resourced college campuses. The biggest thing that I miss about leaving higher ed, hands down, is the transformation of students. Throughout my 12 years in higher ed, there were some students I worked with very closely for their entire four years. And to be able to see someone grow from an 18-year-old to a 22-year-old ready for their career was an incredible opportunity to have people call me their mentor and to say that they have had no figure like me in their life and they are all, they've grown from me. Uh, that, was, that was monumental for me, for my own sense of fulfillment, but also to know that I had an impact on other people. And that is not how I feel these days. I absolutely love my job. I absolutely believe that I'm doing the really important work and I am helping my company and I'm helping the world. But I don't feel like I'm having that very direct transformation that you can have with a college student. Working with adults and helping adults change and transform is not the same as working with an 18-year-old right when they've moved away from home for the first time and they're missing their family and they don't know how to cook and they don't know how to clean and they need you for everything. So, so the bad, the difficult part of higher ed was that they need you for everything. And the part that I miss is that they need you for everything and you can't impact a person as much post-college in general. So I do not regret my decision at all, but that is something that will always weigh heavily on me that I no longer feel like I'm having as much as a transformational impact now. I would imagine that many of our listeners are thinking about that as well. You know, every person in this series, when we've asked that question, what do you miss? The first thing that they say is the students and and the and like you said the transformation that that we get to watch and as as I referred to in my episode the the light bulb moments that happen when we see a student sort of the the gears start to start to happen and start to move and start to click I'm curious from your perspective how you get over that um, because it's not something that like I still struggle right like 
there are moments that when I see college students celebrating something, and it's been harder, of course, over the last year, or my colleagues celebrating a cool win that they've had, whether they post it on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, how, how do you maybe not get over it, but how do you compensate for that in, 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 in your role, particularly in learning and development, which does have a little bit more of a parallel than some, some other roles that folks might take outside of higher ed? I, I don't know if I'll ever fully get over it. And I'm still trying to figure out how can I find that transformation? So is it through mentorship? Is it through supervision? Is it through taking on really great projects that are challenging enough for me where I feel like I'm at least transforming? So I haven't, I haven't fully gotten over it, but how do I help reconcile it in my head is that it's a trade-off. So yes, I don't feel that strong as strongly about that piece, but I also have peace of mind at home now. And my family lives more comfortably now and I have more stability now. So I look at the big picture, not just my actual job, but the big picture and knowing that my entire life is so much better now that I have gone to a company and moved away from higher ed. Uh, so I, I think about it a lot, Tom, but that's the way that I reconcile it to myself. I, it's funny. I mean, I, when I talk about my experiences, I, I would say something very, very similar. And I will often say to people, I don't, I don't get the high of highs, which to me is that mentorship of students and, and knowing because they've told you that you played a key role in their development. But I also don't deal with the low of lows. And those are the things that do I would take home with me and um, that do affect my day-to-day -day life. And so it's it's at the end of the day a calculated decision, which sounds like you know it's your experience as well. I think that's a really good way to put it, Jamie. I like that. What's your day-to-day -day like in learning and development? Uh, and what's the parallel to higher ed? You know, obviously, when we think of what we did in, in higher ed, whether it be orientation or any other avenue of student affairs, we know that we did student leadership development, student training. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you do in your role for L&D? What, what are some of the things that, that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What does your, you know, quote-unquote calendar look like? But then what are the, what's the parallel? How, how, does it, how does it sync with what you did in your previous roles? Yeah, for sure. Some of the main aspects of my job are to manage and create and facilitate training programs. Whether that's a quick hour long workshop or a much longer learning experience, more intimate learning experience, I get to help put together workshops for the employees at my company that will in some way change the way they work, change the way they think, inspire them, and or give them the skills that they need to do something in the moment. So some days I am doing much more administrative work or project management work. Other days I am really in the creativity zone. I am building workshops, I'm researching, I'm synthesizing different theories or different articles out there to figure out how can I repackage this information in a really fun and exciting way that makes our learners interested and it's gonna captivate them when they're in my learning experience. Other days I am facilitating, I am on Zoom. In the olden days, I was in person and I am trying to wow people through that workshop with the knowledge of the workshop, giving them the opportunities to do their own reflection, 
to do their own skills-based practice, have discussions, whatever it is. So really trying to engage them to the best of my ability through the way that we create content to the way that we deliver the content. I also, of course, like any other position, have special projects that come and go. So for example, recently I was on a project team where we put together our 600 person HR summit and I got to be the MC of it, which was incredible. I loved putting my hype public speaking skills to the test. It was so much fun. And then another project that I'm working right now is much more talent management focused. It's behind the scenes. How are we doing our annual reviews? How do people have those convert those career conversations or those or those performance conversations? So some of my work is very much front and center, very visible in people's face. I am definitely a, a public face at my company. And other times my work is very much behind the scenes, trying to maneuver resources, policies, or job aids to get people the, the information that they need. Yeah, which is quite a bit of quite a bit like what we did when we worked in higher ed, right? You know, so many, and particularly as I draw back to the experiences that you and I had when we were together at USC, you know, there was definitely the up in front moments. We were up on a stage, we were behind a podium, we were running a spirit rally, we were teaching the orientation leaders, you know, various chants that we had at the campus. But on the flip side, exactly the fight on, but on the flip side, there were days and days and days of sitting in our offices, being in a, at, a, at a conference table, planning out the necessary pieces of an orientation to execute on. And, and a lot of it's, there's a lot of similarity between, between what we did and, and what I feel like we do now. And, you know, I, I joke, you know, we, we did training around StrengthsQuest when I was in, when I was at the university and we did it for, our, for not only our, our professional staff, but also our orientation leaders. And I still run to this day StrengthsQuest workshops for the employees at where I work at now. And I just frame it differently. It's, you know, how, how do your strengths parlay into this team that you're on doing research or product management or sales versus how do they, you know, how do they manifest themselves when you're leading a group of, of 18 year olds? There's so much transferability over to what we do. And, and some of it's just pulling that with us. Like so much of what I did then I do now just with a different frame or a different lens around it. All right. Well, we are wondering two things. Um, one is what do you see in your career next? So you noted I've had three dream jobs. So I'm curious if you know what your fourth dream job looks like, or you're just kind of open to what comes your way. And then last, you've been giving advice throughout the episode, but any final advice you would offer for folks who are considering a pivot out of campus space? I really set the bar high when I said I've had three dream jobs. You're absolutely right, Jamie. What's the next thing going to be? What I would like to do is to continue moving in in throughout up this learning and development space and also considering what is the HR space. So knowing that I'm, I still consider myself new to the corporate world, I am on the in the HR organization and I'm, I've realized that there are so many gaps in my knowledge because of that. I don't have 12 years of experience in this function. I have now two and a half years. So for me, I wanna keep learning about what are the other areas of HR so that I can better put the pieces together. So for example, working on a college campus, I knew 
what every function did. I knew how the campus was supposed to work together. And I believe that in order for me to do my job the best I could do it, I need to start being able to put all those pieces together of the business. So I'm still working on that. But the dream for me is to, to keep learning, to keep moving up and to keep expanding my knowledge and my hopeful and future accomplishments in, in this entire HR learning and development, talent management, talent development space. Before you do the uh, answer, the last question, I wanted to just follow up and say, in order to fill some of those gaps, do you, what kind of strategies are you, are you thinking of using? <laughs> I mean, certainly learning on the job is, is a key one, I imagine, but I've had folks reach out to me saying, should I certificate in that? Or should I get a degree in this? Should I go back and get an MBA? I may have thought about that last one myself too, <laughs> but I was like, come on, you don't need to master's yeah. and a doctorate. But what are your thoughts on what you're going to do to fill those gaps? Oh, I am, I am with you, Jamie. I do not want another degree. I do not need more letters or want more letters after my name. I feel like I got enough. And especially since I'm now out of higher ed, I really have enough. But what do I do to actually gain that knowledge? I'm being more intentional about what projects I raise my hand for and really going after certain projects where I, am, where I know I'm going to work with people who are in other areas, cross-functional, cross-functional stakeholders. And so I can learn from them. So I can learn more about what their work is, what do they need, and how can I help influence and help along the way. So I'm, I'm definitely being more intentional about the projects that I take on. I also am looking at, should I formally learn more about HR? So for example, there is this test I could take and I could get a certificate. I do not have a desire to go back to school and get any more degrees, but I am considering, do I at least get an HR certificate to help force my learning a little bit more where I think I could get yeah. it on the job, but I think I will be able to get it more formally, more officially and quicker if I force myself through some type of certificate program like that. It's funny that you brought that up because, you know, I think you know that when I first or pivoted out of education, I was in learning and development specifically for employees and, and reported up to HR. And I remember thinking if I ever want to leave where I was and wanted to move into another organization or another company, I probably needed to think about the same thing. You know, I was looking at the SHRM certifications and, and HR and should I get more talent management and talent acquisition and benefits and all the things that I was like, oh, this is not what I want to do, right? You know, I loved the learning and development, the, the L&D space. Uh, and so I purposely made the, you know, the decision to say, I'm going to do customer learning and development because then I don't have to get those certifications. But it definitely was something that weighed on me in the very beginning was, do I, do I aim for this? I remember even researching, and you might get a kick out of this, researching a uh, certificate program at Cornell University, you know, and we had a mutual colleague who eventually went to, to, to Cornell. And I thought, wouldn't that be hilarious if I decided to, to go and uh, get a certificate out of the program that she's at? So it's definitely something that weighs on people. And, and I, I think that the fact that you brought it up is, is really important for our listeners to know, like, this is something to think about. You know, do you do the on the job? Do you do the certification? Do you, you know, sort of pivot into another area of the business based on your skill set? And all of those are, are things that you should and can do. It's a matter of sort of listening and, and like you said, raising your hand at the right time, being sort of more discernible about the projects that you take on. So I think that fact that you brought that up is really a key thing for our listeners to hear, which is, you know, there's, there's a variety of paths in corporate, just like there are in higher education. And it's up to us to sort of figure out what those paths might need to be 
And part of that is the networking, part of that is the mentoring and the coaching and finding people that can help sort of guide you, uh, just like we did in higher ed. You know, I think mm-hmm. about VPs of student affairs that, you know, identified me as somebody that was a rising, you know, leader in, in student affairs, and they sort of mentored me either directly or indirectly. You got to do that same thing in, in, in corporate world as well. Yeah. And I, I think the, the difference I see, Tom, is that in higher ed, it seemed like you have to have a master's to get in. And then you have to have a doctorate to get to a certain level. And of course, there are exceptions, but there's a reason why we have masters and we have doctorates because we felt like that's what we needed to do to move up. At least for me at my company and in my organization, I don't feel the pressure to get the certificate. I don't think I need it to move up. I think for me, it's more a matter of, I know I have more learning to do. It's not a check the box. That's how I'm going to get it. It's more, I have gaps that I need to fill and other people who've worked in this area for longer might not need to fill those gaps, but I'm seeing the gaps. And since I am an L&D professional, I should drink my own wine and go ahead and make sure that I am learning and developing. So that's, that's a big reason why, like, I think it will, it will only help me do my own job better. And, and while I'm not being prevented from getting the next job because I don't have it, I think it will only be a better thing later. Definitely. And now I'm going to start Googling certificate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, if you can close us out, are there any additional bits of advice that you would give to the former folks like the former you who may be yeah. just curious about what's out there? I mean, I think it's become apparent, like our the folks that would be listening to this are the spectrum. Like some are feeling very drained by the student affairs work. And some are just interested in trying something different. You know, there's a there's a wide spectrum. So you, uh, what advice would you give? Anything you would add to what you already shared? A few pieces of tangible job hunting advice that I'm sure many other people have shared along the way are network, 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 as Tom just alluded to. So it's finding the sponsor or finding the mentor or having informational interviews to get to know people. I get informational interview requests all the time. So put yourself out there, even if it's to a stranger and network your way, because in the corporate world, that, that relationship can make the difference between getting a job and not getting a job. I also think there's a lot of power in the side gig. I told you all that I, I believe I got my job because of the side gig. And whether yours is a paid side gig or a passion project on the side, Whatever it is to show employers that you've been doing the work, whether it's in your formal job or totally outside of the scope of your job, get that going. So for example, I've talked to a lot of people who want to join L&D, but there is no, nothing that resembles L&D in their role. Well, then is there an L&D team at the university or at the college where you can take up a couple projects with? Or is there another office that needs some training and you could go in and give them some specialized training about something really amazing that you can do. So create your own opportunities to showcase what you can do and to help improve your skills. And then my last piece of advice to someone who is considering this is reminding you all of what I said earlier. I I hear a lot of people talking about imposter syndrome, questioning, can you really make that jump? And like I said earlier, Higher ed folks are more than qualified for these jobs. And because we are raised in this environment, because we've never been anywhere but a college campus, 
we lose sight of how the work that we do in higher ed is not typical work. The workload is not typical. The way we stretch our abilities is not typical. The challenges that we overcome are not typical. So you are very much qualified to get that job and to rise up really quickly. It's a matter of networking and a matter of changing that language to show people that you know what they're talking about and to cater it to the audience. But I know that you all can do it. I am very confident that anybody with higher education experience can make the pivot successfully and outshine many people at the current company. Yeah, that's a great point and a great way for us to close close it up. I think, Chrissy, the, the comment, you are qualified, really rings true. Listeners will know I've, I've shared this. I've hired many of folks from higher education into the world in which I work, which is much more around customer success uh, in the corporate setting. And each one of the people that I've hired from higher ed has been a shining star because of the skills that they brought. And while they were able to, to, to successfully speak about how they would transfer those skills over, what was more important is that they were actually able to do that because of the training ground that they had when they were in higher education. Chrissy, I knew that this would be a fantastic episode based on who you are and, and what you've accomplished and what you've done. I'm so thrilled that you decided to join us for this season. Uh, and I know our listeners will be really excited to hear your story. For all of our listeners out there, please make sure that you tune in next week for another riveting story. And as Chrissy mentioned, uh, if you are interested or you need help or you want to network, Jamie and I are both available. Feel free to visit our website at www.pivotingoutofedu.com or email us at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com. And we're more than happy to assist you and connect you with the right people. Thank you again. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.